Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Tim Page, and... And I'm Nadia Sirota, host of Q2 Music's Meet the Composer. We've got season three coming your way next week. But until then, we're continuing with a blast from the past, featuring conversations with Tim Page, host of a show that aired on WNYC in the 1980s, which also just so happened to be called Meet the Composer. Here we go. One composer we did not do in Meet the Composer, and I really wish we had, was Alvin Lussier. I am sitting in a room different from the one you are in now. I found that taking this piece he wrote called I Am Sitting in a Room, which is basically... I am recording the sound of my speaking voice. And I am going to play it back into the room again and again until the resonant frequencies of the room reinforce themselves so that any semblance of my speech, with perhaps the exception of rhythm, is destroyed, 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 something which trained musicians are just as likely to not respond to as um, non-musicians. And, but every time I get an interesting essay out of it. So the reason that Tim gets essays about this piece is that he is currently a professor of music and journalism at the University of Southern California. I actually now wish that I'd been um, keeping all these essays that I get because I, I should have sent them all to Alvin Lussier and said, look, here are 500 essays about your piece and every one of them has a different response to it, but they're all pretty darned interesting. Nobody really knows how to deal with something when they're just pushed out into the pure experience and told that they have to write something. So while you weren't able to talk to Alvin Lucier, you did interview someone who was also very important in early electronic music, Otto Luning. Yes. Uh, he, he was just a marvelous, gentle, kindly, elderly gentleman who, who had a kind of Santa Claus quality to him. Otto was born in 1900 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. His family later moved to Germany, and then he moved to Switzerland to study composition. In 1924, he returned to the U.S. to begin a lengthy career 
composing and conducting and teaching. He was just very interested in everything. And of course, it's often forgotten that he was really one of the inventors of tape and electronic music. Many people who just know your name know it as an electronic composer. No. But you've written in so many different styles, and I, I know there was a time in the 50s and 60s where you were suddenly portrayed, by the media at least, as this absolute radical composer. That's right. Tell us something about the historic early days of, of tape music. I know, of course, there was a, that very famous concert which you did with Vladimir uh, Suchevsky. That's a, it's a very strange and wonderful story. We came up with some tiny little compositions that we did at a cocktail party. We have soon had a call from New York. There was a, a program coming in the Modern Museum, and uh, uh, would we have produce a set of uh, short pieces for this? Well, we didn't want to do it at first because we had no laboratory. None of this great stuff that goes on now when you have a $100,000 laboratory before you write your first eighth note. Uh, we, we had to carry our stuff with us in a car, but we finally decided, all right, we would do it. My idea was to write a little virtuoso piece here. It's a, just a short piece uh, that people would sort of see the virtuoso possibilities of the flute. But in this mixture and in this electronic treatment, we did this with sound on sound, I think is what they'd call it today, and mixing of all kinds that we had to invent. This piece, Fantasy in Space, was one of the pieces that we did there. We did a little set, I think there were four, and they were done at the Modern Museum concert. That was in 1952, and uh, were then an immediate sensation, I should say. They were hit with many and with others, so it was pretty risky stuff. You were just—you were actually denounced by some people who thought that it was the uh, oh, yeah. the end of end of music. music. That's right. I mean, they really went after us and said, "Oh goodness, I mean, this is terrible." And I—I I remember uh, <laughs> lots of times I—I I said what I still say now. I said, "As long as people want to sing and play, there will be live music." If they quit singing and they quit performing, then there won't be any live music. There will be electronic music. So that's about the story. Otto was amazingly open-minded and remained open-minded his whole life. And, you know, you'd play him something. He wouldn't necessarily like it all, but he'd try to come to terms with what the piece was and then embrace it as much as he could. I always learned from listening to him. He lived right down Riverside Drive from me, and I, I saw him regularly and, and just loved him like mad. Publicity doesn't last. It goes up and down. I learned that in a long life. Sometimes you're in, then you're out. And my point was to keep on doing things the way I had. 
And、uh, let it swing around. The strange thing is that many of the younger generation now have found my very early music, and they like it. I don't know what it means. It means somehow that we、uh, have gotten on the same wavelength, but after about 60 years. Well, I had this funny thing with my second string quartet, which I wrote 1922. Now that was rejected by everybody because it was impossible to play. It was so radical and so new and so everything. Now the f- the first review that I got of my second string quartet at Eastman was a scathing review about horrible twelve tone music. It has nothing to do with twelve tone at all. And、uh, now. The same piece comes out, and it's uh, it's uh, everybody says, well, it's so clear, and it's this and that, and very nice things about it. I don't understand that. I think it's just that we sometimes don't synchronize. We do good jobs, but we don't. I think you have to meet the right people at the right time. There's a certain timing in all of this. And you have to have luck too. Just good fortune. Meet the composer was produced by Tim Page and Allison Chernow. Charles Passy and John Kreckler were associate producers. Engineers for this series were Alana Pelzig, Chris Say, and Jane Pippick. Links to all the music featured on today's show are available at q2music.org/meetthecomposer. Special thanks to Tim Page and the WNYC Archives for making this show possible. And many thanks to New Music USA for their flexibility with the use of the Meet the Composer name. Which became famous through their legacy organization founded by composer John Duffy. This episode was produced by Nadia Sirota, Mead Bernard, Alex Overington, and John Hanrahan, with help from Carol Ann Chung and Donnie Green. Meet the Composer's executive producer is Alex Ambrose. Meet the Composer is available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>